right, grab your Bibles, <clears throat> turn to Ephesians 4. That's where we'll, uh, we'll actually be primarily landing in one text this morning. So the past couple of messages have been a challenge for some of you. It's just out of the norm for us. Um, congratulations, you're back to the norm somewhat for today. Um, <clears throat> part two of church membership kind of rewind where we've been uh, we looked at the four pictures of the new testament church that being the <clears throat> body of christ the family of christ the temple of christ and the bride of christ and all of those speak to some function that we have as the church uh, in our various forms and the way that the father has designed uh, his church that Christ bought with his blood. Last week we took a brief survey of uh, <clears throat> New Testament membership looking specifically uh, more at implications of church membership rather than uh, clear indications of church membership. There's, there's nowhere in the New Testament that says thou shalt be a church member. But all throughout the New Testament there's this understanding that the body belongs to one another and that happens in local congregations, local assemblies uh, like this one. We see it in church gatherings <clears throat> where Paul addresses uh, specific instruction, uh, say, to the church at Corinth of how they're to conduct themselves when they get together uh, for worship. You see it in church leadership with regard to pastors, teachers, elders, and uh, how pastors, teachers, elders are responsible for a specific flock and uh, that mutual relationship there. You see it in church discipline and church accountability. And uh, there has to be an identifiable body for the uh, biblical reality of church discipline, of encouragement and accountability, pursuing Christ together uh, to happen. You see it in church mission, uh, specifically there in Acts chapter 13, where the church is gathered at Antioch, and the Holy Spirit came and said, Set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. And the church gathers together, they pray fast, lay hands on Saul and Barnabas, and send them out. Um, and so... We realize, especially in our day, uh, church membership can either be meaningful or meaningless. And so what we're pushing really hard toward uh, through preaching on Sunday mornings and then through conversations like we're going to have Wednesday night, uh, 6.30 in this room, uh, we want to push toward a meaningful church membership, a church membership that really matters. Now, with that being said, we understand, uh, just like we talked about last week, that there are some obstacles even represented in this room. I mean, we, we are a, a unique collection of people with different backgrounds and uh, experiences and all these different things that the Lord's put together. So some of the obstacles we referred to last week, I'll just repeat so that we can kind of remember where we're working from and that, like, we're, we're confessional in this. And so you may identify with one of these. You may say, hmm, that's, that's me there. Uh, something to pray toward for. Uh, one obstacle, that being isolationism, individualism, this reality that we really want to exist in and of ourselves without anyone else, especially without anyone else pushing into the bubbles that we craft for ourselves. Um, past experiences, maybe we've been burned in some type of church experience, and so uh, we've just kind of written a big X over the church, and we're going to keep it at arm's length. Uh, we're afraid of commitment is another obstacle that we have. Uh, we just like to date the church. We don't want to commit to the church we don't want to just dive in let's let's keep our options open is kind of the mentality here and when things just don't exactly go like i want to if i'm not committed well then i can kind of bounce out with everything's okay there uh, or maybe we're just in i'm using ignorance in the purest sense of the word not in a negative connotation we're just ignorant of what the bible says regarding church membership 
And uh, we're, we're informing our perspectives of church membership by experience, by uh, traditions, those types of things. And so we want to bring all these into subjection to the Bible. Now, one specific problem that we have with regard to how we view church membership in our context, in our day, is the, um, what we'll call the church growth emphasis of the last 20, 30, even 50 years. And the, the church growth emphasis encouraged church leaders especially, but churches in general, to, uh, to hold the door open wide, make it really easy, simple, uh, seamless, painless for someone to, quote, join the church. And the premise was it's, it needs to be an easy come type of mentality. The problem with the easy come mentality is that it's also what? Easy come, easy go. And so how many, just think about this. How many people slip out of churches without an awareness of where they are now? You just, you just kind of think, and your experience could be similar to mine. You think back in past context situations, weeks, months, even years go by, and then finally someone says, well, I wonder what happened to old so-and-so. Or they say something like, I wonder if so-and-so is still a member of our church. Well, this is a clear indication that we have a problem, right? Because most of us would be able, be able to say, yeah, I, I hear I, that resonates with me in some way or another. Clear indication of two realities here. One, we have a low value that we place on church membership, but there's a deeper reality here. Low value we place on church membership. The other reality is there's a low value that we place on church members. Low value that we place on church members. So church membership has to, be, has to involve more than just showing up or walking forward at the end of a service, shaking the preacher's hand and telling him you want to join the church and then signing a card indicating that same commitment. Some will actually say that, similar to what we're doing, pursuing an intentional covenant-type membership uh, commitment will decrease your church's attendance and opportunity for growth. Well, our response will be twofold. One, that's okay. That's fine. That's no problem for us. We don't have to have explosive growth. The Lord is the one who controls the growth of Redeemer and how Redeemer grows and sins and plants, and we do all these things in the future. Uh, but then the other, in rebuttal to the, the idea, if you, if you place an intentional covenant membership process in your uh, membership reality for your church, is that that's really, it's really not true because, and this will, I, I think this will resonate with some of us, when people see what they're committing to, often they'll go all in. And when you, see, when you show people, hey, this is where we're going, this is what we're committing to, people will often go all in. And so regardless of background experience with church membership, we need to look at the scriptures and determine how we, as Redeemer Church, are to view church membership. And our encouragement is, to use the language from last week here again, uh, our encouragement is no longer just settle for being an attender, we need to be members. And the difference here is that as an attender, I go to Redeemer. But as a member, I'm a part of Redeemer. I'm, I'm a part of the body at Redeemer. And so we want to place an extremely high value on church membership. Church membership should be local, it should be a joyful. Local church membership should be joyful, but not necessarily easiest. Because in this context, this is where discipleship really happens. This, this is where our Christ-likeness journey with one another actually happens. And so there are two, uh, two relationships that we see in the local church. One is a relationship with Christ. So first question before we even look at the text is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Christ? Have you repented of your sin and placed faith in Christ, trusting Him with your life now and for all eternity? 
And then this other relationship with one another. There's a lot of one another-ness. So Ephesians 4 uh, is where we're going to be looking, just to bring you up to speed, um, having not walked through the first three chapters of Ephesians to this point. In Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, Paul addresses doctrine, as he often does in his, uh, in his letters to the churches. He starts and he addresses doctrine, and then he switches and he starts addressing practice. And he, in Ephesians 4, Paul begins to address practice here, and as we'll see, he starts specifically with the church. And so our doctrine results in devotion, which has an impact on our daily life. And at some point, at some point, theological learning and biblical knowledge must intersect with real, right, real life. Right? All of our theological learning, all of our biblical knowledge has to intersect with real life. And the primary location for this intersection is here. It is the local church. The local church is where we join together in a covenant commitment with one another to pursue Christ with one another, and it requires relationship. It requires relationship. So let's look at the text, and then we'll unpack it for the next few minutes. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, uh, Ephesians 4.1, I, therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Paul walks through three chapters in this letter, understanding he didn't have chapter, verse, divisions, he's just writing a letter. The first heavy part of his letter is that of doctrine and then he transitions in chapter 4 and begins with I therefore a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk worthy of the manner of the calling with which you are called and so how does this happen so uh, a few truths that we see here about the local church specifically Ephesians 4 1 through 16 first truth the local church is where we walk together the local church is where we walk together for one I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk. The therefore is pointing back to all of that he has written up to this point. And so the, pr- the principle here is in light of all that he previously wrote, now do this is what he's getting at. So here's the now what, here's the so what of the letter that's going to the church at Ephesus. It's similar to where Paul makes a transition in the book of Romans at the end of chapter 11. Like Romans is like one huge theological discourse. And when he gets to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, we read, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that he has 
written about for 11 chapters up to that point in Romans to offer your to present your bodies as a living sacrifice like this this this, that's why we say all of our theological learning all of our biblical knowledge has to intersect with real life like that was the Pharisees problem like they knew they knew scripture they manipulated it but they knew scripture but they there was no intersection with real life and so that's why jesus called them things like whitewashed tombs outside they look good inside they're full of dead men's bones they look like cups that shiny on the outside but in full in the middle it's, it's putrid and so he says i urge you in light of all that christ has done for us in christ all that god has done for us in christ do this i urge you He's called us in Christ, and now live up to that calling. And so here's a paradigm shift for the new covenant believers that, of which we're a part. In the old covenant, the principle was, obey me and I'll bless you. Right? If you read the Old Testament, especially the, the first five books, specifically the law, the principle in the old covenant is, obey me and I will bless you. Jesus comes, fulfills all that the old covenant was pointing to, and the paradigm shifts. And it is no longer obey me and I will bless you, but the paradigm now is I have blessed you, now obey me. And so it's, it's, it's a total different way of thinking. Like we are not earning this blessing, we have this blessing. Uh, so, and so then therefore, what should we do? We should walk worthy. We, sh- we should walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Now notice it here in verse 1, he says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, He's literally in prison there. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Both of those yous there are plural. Now what do we know about this calling that he's referred to? We don't have time to read all of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. But here are some of the realities of this calling. We have, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. We're adopted sons and daughters. We have redemption and forgiveness. We have an inheritance. We have eternal hope. We were dead in sin, but God made us alive. We're saved by grace through faith. We are reconciled to God by the cross. We have direct access to the Father. We are God's dwelling place. So then, walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Church, the way we live our lives matters. We are to walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Why? Because we've been called. So the local church is where we walk with one another. And we do this going on into verse 2 with humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Look, just let's be real honest about this. The, the character traits here, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, like those things take work. And here's just, here's the Livingston Parish paraphrase here. You are going to get on one another's nerves. And so walk worthy with humility, with gentleness, with patience. It sounds an awful lot like sanctification. Right? And so, you are necessary for my sanctification. I'm not sure if you're encouraged by that reality, but I am necessary for your sanctification. Because in the context of the local church, we are walking in humility and gentleness and patience. We are bearing with one another in love. And this root here is that of love. The context for this instruction is the local church. It is other believers. It is a specific church. If you go back to Ephesians 1, 1, Paul writes, to the saints who are in Ephesus. 
So this instruction is to that individual body, the same body that was represented by the group of elders that met Paul in Acts chapter 20. The same body that was started by God through the ministry of Paul and there starts up a riot and he gets run out of town. And so sanctification happens in the context of one another. We cannot fully pursue sanctification by ourselves. We need one another. The local church is where we walk together. All of these aspects require, require one thing, someone else. Someone else. All, all eager to maintain, going on to verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Peace comes through reconciliation. Unity is already ours. And so our challenge is not to pursue unity, but to maintain unity. The church's unity is a responsibility of every church member, not just for those in leadership. We belong to Christ and we belong to one another. And then there's this hammering of ones here, verses 4 through 6. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, of all who is over all and through all and in all. We see a Trinitarian formula here. One spirit, one Lord, one, one Father. And so he's pushing in on this reality that the local church is where we actually walk together, where we walk with one another. Membership in the local church is our way of saying, you know, this whole thing is bigger than I am. This whole thing is bigger than I am. We're in this together. If you go back to chapter 2 and verse 5, Paul wrote, reminding them of who they were in Christ and then now who they are in Christ. 2, 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. Not individually. Together. With Christ. I mean, doesn't this just brush up against our American sentiments? Like, like this, this, this really just kind of crushes the American dream mindset. Like, we are in this together. And so, membership, church membership is not necessary for salvation. However, church membership is evidence of salvation. And it is necessary for our growing in sanctification toward Christ. And so the local church is where we walk worthy together. Secondly, the local church is where we serve together. Local church is where we serve together. Starting in verse 7, he starts talking about these gifts. And so the first thing we see in the gift conversation is that grace gifts are given to each Christ follower, each church member. Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Up to this point, it's all corporate. It's all together, right? But here he says each one. Each one, clearly pointing to the fact that every person in the church is gifted in some way by God for the purpose of serving the church. We're gifted in some way that serves the body. We see this in Romans 12. We see it in 1 Corinthians 12. And so then the question comes up, how do, okay, I've, maybe you've heard of the whole spiritual gift thing and it's been uh, awfully confusing to you through the years maybe. How do you know how God has gifted you? I mean, we can do things like surveys and stuff like that or we can just begin to serve. Or we can just begin to serve. We can begin to fellowship with one another. We can start pushing into relationship. We begin to walk together in a manner worthy of our calling to which we've been called. And then we'll be able to discern more accurately how God has gifted specifically us, each one of us, to serve the body. One writer on this verse made this statement, Gifts are not toys to play with. They are tools to build with. Like there's, there's a purpose. There's a purpose behind which, verse 7, the grace that was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each one of us. 
1 Peter 4.10, Peter wrote, As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, God's multifaceted grace. And so, like, get the picture of what Peter's painting here in, in 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift. So the implication is what? Each has received a gift, right? As each has received a gift, you use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. So God has given to each of us that are saved a gift, some way in which we can serve the body. And he has entrusted that to us, and so our role is to do what? Steward that gift. We are to steward that gift, not not put it on a shelf and say, hey, check out my gift, right? But to actually put that gift into action in whatever way we are to serve. And so we see grace gifts are given to each Christ follower, church member. But then further on in the conversation, he refers to uh, church leaders as being specific grace gifts to the church. We'll push in more to church leadership next week. Uh, But our text here, he goes into and he talks about how Jesus ascended on high, led a host of captives. That's us. He gave gifts to men. That's that's the leadership. It's going to wrap around to verse 11. And the whole ascended and descended thing, like don't, don't think like, too deep into this, Christ is in heaven, he descended to earth, okay? And after resurrection, he ascended to heaven, okay? So that's, that's the principle there. But as he's doing all of these things, the descension and then the ascension, he's entrusting the ministry to the leaders of the church. And so part of the gifts of verse 8 are those he gave of verse 11. And so he refers to uh, these, different, uh, these different people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And if you think about it just in, in context, the, the, the context is going from broad to more specific. So you have the apostles and the prophets who were doing like the groundwork, New Testament kind of work of setting the foundation, the doctrinal foundation for the church. And then he comes to evangelists and then shepherds and teachers, one office there, they're, they're joined in the original text. And uh, so these phrases describe this leadership function. So look at what the role of the leadership is. We'll come back to this next week just to kind of prime the pump here. Verse 12. Leaders equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Leaders equip the saints. Equip here is to train, to instruct, to furnish for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So how is the leader most effectively going to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ? What's the tool that's going to be most effective in the hands of the leader to equip the saints for work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ? The Word, right? This, this tool right here. And so whether it's me or other leaders as we develop that, that leadership dynamic in the future for Redeemer, like our tool through which we serve together in the body is the Word. Leaders serve Christ and His church by using the Word to equip the church to actually use the Word. And so our response, the leader's responsibility involve equipping, not meeting every need. We'll never have enough leaders to meet every need. We'll never have enough pastors, elders to meet every need. However, if we as pastors and elders serve faithfully in equipping the church to do what? To meet needs. There's a multiplied effect of the body to function there, and we immediately increase our capacity to function. Now, 
the biblical model of church leadership is not authoritarian, it's not dictator, it's that of shepherd in verse 11. And all of these gifts are given to the church for the purpose of serving one another, building up the body of Christ. So in light of the local churches where we serve together, listen to this and hopefully be encouraged by this. I need you and you need me. And walking together in the church. I need you and you need me. We need one another in this thing. None of us are big enough to be a church in and of ourselves. None of us have all of these giftings in which we can say, oh, I can do this, I don't need any of you. Only one who was sufficient to pull that off was Christ. And so then what he did is he entrusted all of his gifts to people like us. Which, if you think about this, is a really crazy way to do things. Because we are a huge collection of messes in this room. We are perpetual train wrecks. It's just, at what stage are we in the train wreck? But God in His grace has put all of us together to serve together for the building up of the body of Christ. It's His church, and He's gifted us in ways to build this body up. So the local church is where we walk together. The local church is where we serve together. Number three, the local church is where we grow together. Verse 13, he goes on and he says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So the local church is where we grow together. And this phrase here, verse 13, until we attain... Like the idea here is that the body of Christ is being built up, and until we attain to the unity of faith, knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, what are we going to keep doing? We're going to keep pursuing this, which we're trying to attain. And so together we grow in the knowledge of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So we, we study the Word. We sit under the teaching of the Word. We dig into the Word. We meditate on the Word because we want to know the Word, the John 1 Word. We don't want to just know about God. We want to know God. Now, the way we know God is knowing about God. So, like, pursuing Christ, growing in our knowledge of Christ, is not merely an academic exercise. Some, some of you ladies, you've been working through Galatians for a few weeks now, and some fantastic reports coming out of that gathering over these past few weeks. But what a travesty if you just check off your list, Galatians. We've learned about Galatians. We've learned about the truth of Galatians, and it doesn't push into our lives. We just gain knowledge, but not knowledge of the Son of God. Why do we gain knowledge, verse 14? It's so that we will no longer be children tossed to and fro. We want to gain knowledge of the Son of God so that when we hear false teaching, when we hear false doctrine, we know something is wrong. We know something is amiss there. And so what we believe, what we hold as truth matters, and we have to be diligent in this regard. And to speak from the standpoint of preaching the Word, if me or anyone else ever preaches someone that is contrary to the Word, well, then you as the church hold us accountable. We're not exempt. We're not, we're not, we, we are the ones who give an account for the souls that the Lord has trusted us to, entrusted to us. And so if there's any kind of false teaching that comes from here, well then, 
You as a church hopefully have been equipped in such a way that you hear it and you're like, no, something's wrong here. Something's off here. And so together we grow in the knowledge of Christ. Together we also grow in maturity in Christ. He says mature manhood to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, verse 13. And the purpose is that so we may no longer be children. And so you, like you, get, the, you get the contrast there, verse 13. We want to be mature men and women. Why? Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. Like you, you, you get the principle here. The, the principle is that as, as we're growing in Christ, we're growing from babies into maturity. And if we perpetually stay babies, we're not growing in our knowledge of the Son of God. And so together we grow in maturity in Christ. Also together we grow in the fullness of Christ. He says, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. The church, the local church, is the expression of Christ in this world. Someone wants to see Jesus, they should be able to look at his bride. And we can't fully grow in Christ without a true relationship with the church. Relationship required. It's it's not an option. And so this is why we this is why we pursue discipleship, not only conversion. We're not we, we don't just pursue decisions. We pursue long-term relationship commitment. It's easy. It's so easy and it's so tempting in the church to chase after decisions. It's an immediately measurable reality. Well, how many decisions did you have? We had four this week. We had 50 this week. Oh, you went overseas. How many decisions did you have? 3,000 decisions. Like, that just sounds crazy awesome, right? But it's not decisions. It's relationship. It's discipleship. And so the messy work is not pushing for a decision. The the messy work is pushing toward the knowledge of Christ and discipleship. And so the local church is where we grow together. And so maybe sometimes the reason why we aren't growing in Christ like we wish that we would be growing in Christ is because we are not connected to His church the way that we should be connected to His church. We cannot grow in Christ outside of a connection to the local church. It's Paul's principle here. Like we're, we're not going to graduate from connection to the local church. The local church is where we grow together. And then number four, the local church is where we love together. There are two bookends that are on this text, and these bookends are love. He starts it with verse 2 by saying, With all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. And then he comes in verses 15 and 16 and repeats the same. Look at verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to what? We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, that that phrase right there, just side note, when each part is working properly reminds us that we have value in this thing. In Christ, in Christ, you have value in the local church. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that it builds itself up in love. And so 
Rather than being immature children, giving into false doctrine and deceit, verse 15, what do we do? We speak the truth in love. The literal language there is we, we truth one another in love. Like the word there is a verb. Kind of There's a disconnection with the English translation there. We, it's kind of clunky in the translation, but the idea there is that we are truthing one another and we are doing it in love. Like th- This is what we're actually doing. And so we are speaking in the context of one another, in the context of together, we are speaking the truth to one another. I, 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 think, I think your your experience would be similar to mine. There are times when I just I need someone just to speak truth to me. And it could be a rebuke where I've walked out of step in some way. It could be a, just a word of encouragement. Like just a simple, hey, remember, Christ has accomplished everything necessary for your sanctification. And just these simple truths. We speak these truths in love. In the body of Christ, the church builds itself up in love when each part is working properly. So what makes us different? Our love. Why is our love for one another such a big deal? Why does Paul come here and say, no, it's... You, you, the, the whole body grows so that it builds itself up in love. Well, according to Jesus, the love that we have together is one of the greatest gospel demonstrations we, we can present to a lost and often watching world. Remember what he said to his disciples in John 13? A new commandment I give to you, which is interesting because it wasn't necessarily a new commandment. It was a new emphasis here. A new commandment I give to you that you, what? Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have what? Love for one another. Not love for yourself. Love for one another. The Livingston community and abroad, as we scatter, should be able to see the love that Redeemer has for one another and see Christ in us. In the middle of our mess, in the middle of our train wrecks, see this overarching theme of love that we have for one another. And all of our diversity and differences coming in a weird way together in the gospel and coming together for the gospel and giving a demonstration of love for one another. And this goes without saying, yes, but we need to have this pounded into our minds. One another only happens in the context of one another. One another only happens in the context of one another. In the local church, we are in covenant with one another and for the sake of one another. And so a significant portion of church membership is this reality of one another. And so if you know Christ, if you've repented of your sin and believed the gospel, you need the local church. Either here or somewhere else. Either here or somewhere else. You can stay at the level of a tender, but you'll truly miss out on what it means to be a true member of the local church. And let's remember, the church is the body of Christ. Used by God to do His Christ-exalting, kingdom-advancing, gospel-proclaiming work in this world. The local church is a big deal. This is not something we should be flippant or casual about the reality of who we are as the local church should pound deep into the recesses of our souls and so sure you can remain in a tender here or someone somewhere else and not move into true membership but our hope is that 
you'll feel an increasingly health, healthy level of tension in this relationship. And you'll have to come to a point to where you're going to say, okay, am I just going to keep dating or are we going to go into a commitment here? It's the, it's the define the relationship moment. Right? Okay, let's, where's this thing going? And maybe Wednesday night we'll talk about some of like, the diff- more stark differences there. But it really should be uncomfortable for someone to, for an extended amount of time, attend a local church and not join that local church as a fully vested member of that local church. Whether that's Redeemer or somewhere else. And it's because it's the local church, the context, the local church is this context where one another happens. You want to grow in Christ? Dive in, dig into the local church. You want to grow in your knowledge of God? Grow into the measure and stature and the fullness of Christ? Push into one another's. One of the most encouraging things that I'm hearing over these past few weeks is, hey, we had supper with so-and-so, or I met so-and-so for coffee, or we hung out with so-and-so. And like we're not orchestrating these things. These things are, are happening. And it's because we truly hope and really believe we are beginning to realize, no, this is one another. This is one another. And look, Sunday morning 1015 is a massive part of one another. But so is the rest of the week. We should be invested with one another in relationships such that when we come into this event, that the one another is already going on. Church membership is a big deal because Christ places an infinite value on His church. Let's pray and we'll sing. Father in heaven. Lord, thank you for uh, thank you for this church, for Redeemer, Lord, and um, what you're doing here at Redeemer, how you're building us into the body of Christ. And Lord, we want to be uh, found faithful. We want to be obedient in all things and to honor Christ in all things. So teach us from your word continually how we are to grow into the fullness of christ to mature manhood to no longer be satisfied with being children and to strive after one another lord do it for your name and for your honor and for your renown and we'll trust you with how that impacts us we pray it in christ's name amen